Good evening. Today is Monday, September 26, 2022, and we are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter is Bill's story, and our speaker tonight is Tamara. Thank you, Tamara. Thanks. I'm really glad to be here. I um, appreciate Eileen inviting me. Thanks, Eileen. Uh, this is a great meeting. I, I was invited a while ago to speak, and um, I thought, wow, how come I haven't heard about this meeting? It's so beautiful. And um, But I just really couldn't work it out to come, uh, maybe only a couple times since then. But I, um, I have listened to a lot of the uh, recording, so I, I really get a lot and appreciate this meeting being here. So I'm Tamara. I am a compulsive overeater. And um, I I really like Bill and Bill's story, and I identify with it more and more. Every time I read it, every time I go through with a sponsee or uh, read it through myself or go through with my sponsor, I find more in it to identify with. Um, and I'm going to um, jump around a little bit. I actually want to start on page five, um, uh, where uh, Bill says, I woke up. This had to be stopped. I kind of want to start at that part of my story. I saw I could not take so much as one drink. I was through forever. And then uh, he goes on, next paragraph. Shortly afterward, I came home drunk. And then on uh, page seven, uh, now he has met uh, the Dr. Silkworth and he got all this information. He says, uh, relieved me to learn, you know, that, you know, here's what's going on with me, you know, this whole allergy of the body situation. Um, like if I take a little bit, then I just want more and more. I can't stop. And um, he says, surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. But it was not. For the frightful day came when I drank once more. And so where I want to start with my story is that um, there was a time where I came to understand the allergy of the body. And I was like, oh, my word, this has got to stop. I can't even take a little bit of my alcoholic ingredients. I can't have just one of those. All right, so now I know the answer. The answer is just like an alcoholic can never ever take that first drink, no matter what, I can never take the first compulsive bite. Okay, I got this. And um, and uh, also like self-knowledge, like I, I learned about the nature of my disease and I learned that I wasn't alone, I learned um, there's, you know, a whole fellowship of people who eat like me and get it. And um, so I had this self-knowledge. And so I, and that frightful day came and I went back to that first bite. And that's the part I want to talk about for my step one, my powerlessness is it, if the problem is I can't ever take that first bite, then why would I ever go back to that first bite? Like, I, I get abstinent, I get it out of my system, and then, whew, okay, I'm not having that terrible, horrible craving anymore, that physical allergy of the body. So why would I want to go back to that hell of that insatiable craving again? So I want to talk about that. So let me um, go back now to page one. I want to tell a little bit about my powerlessness with the food and then kind of like, what is it? that takes me back to that first bite? What is it that um, has me chasing some effect from the food? So um, on page one, Bill talks about, um, you know, there was excitement and he discovers liquor. 
And then he was very lonely and he turned to alcohol. And so um, for me, I found that food helped me even out my emotions. And um, that was a great kind of thing that food did for me because I was afraid of my emotions. I, um, I just didn't learn that they're a normal part of living. I didn't learn how to process them, how to experience them. So I was very much afraid of them. And um, I learned to protect myself by uh, shutting them down. And food helped me do that. Food was my friend. Um, I remember the earliest nightmare I remember from my a young childhood was um, this giant monster owl standing beside my bed. And I was terrified and I wanted to call out to my family to come help me. And in my nightmare, my mouth was open as big as I could get it. And I was trying and trying and trying to scream and I could not make one sound. And um, I just, this is, this was like my thing when I was overwhelmed by emotions, I would freeze. Um, I just, I didn't think that expressing them was safe. Um, also like positive emotions. I remember I'm a teacher and I, I might have like a, um, a really good event, like invite all the parents to come for like a poetry recital. And my students, students do this and it goes just beautifully. And all the parents are so impressed. And I'm like, wow, they love me. They think I'm this amazing teacher. And I'm on this high driving home. And that's, I realize this is too intense. This is too intense. I can't handle this. I need to eat. And I'm like, why? It's a good thing. But it's just I, my, um, so Bill, you know, excited or lonely, alcohol was his friend. So then I, I'm powerless over that. I'm powerless over life happening. And what's unmanageable is um, my unhealthy response that I don't know how to um, just process it. And so these old ideas tell me I have to escape it. Um, on And then at the bottom of page one, he says, um, I imagined, uh, let's see, I fancied myself a leader. And um, the, in the top of page two, the drive for success was on. I proved to the world I was important. And so um, for me, um, I had these grandiose ideas of this. I was going to be the, the best teacher in the world or just the best human being, the best wife, the best auntie, whatever. And um, why did I have this drive? Because I was covering up, and I, I suspect that possibly Bill uh, was like me in that he was covering up this actual deep fear that he wasn't enough. At least that's for me. That's my experience. I had to prove to the world that I was enough because I didn't believe in myself. And so I needed the world to like be my higher power and tell me I was enough. And so um, here's here's part of my step one. I have to admit that I can't fix myself. I can't manage better and be okay. That no amount of chasing control or approval or security or value is never enough. And um, my sponsor kind of drove that home by asking me like, Tamara, how much is enough? And And I finally realized the answer is nothing. Nothing is ever enough. There's not enough approval in the world for me to be like, oh, I'm okay now. I'm okay, I don't have to chase some kind of effect. Um, let's see, I didn't think, um, when when I came to OA and I heard step one, um, powerless over food, yeah, uh, got that. 
but my life is unmanageable. Pretty successful teacher, a successful wife. I, I feel like I, I have life under control. Um, but it, what I didn't really see or admit to myself is that underneath it all was I was in this race to prove to the world, to prove to you that I was enough before you saw the real me and saw that underneath it really, really was like um, not enough. And, and if you knew the real me, um, you would be repulsed. Uh, this is what I told myself. And so I was always chasing to be enough before everybody found out that I wasn't enough. Um, let's see, like on page three, you know, he takes up golf. He gets golf fever. Like now he's doing great. He's super successful. Um, he is drinking, but um, he feels like his life is going really well. And so he's chasing something else. And that's like being really good at golf. He's going to um, overtake Walter Hagen, right? So for me, I fantasized about being really, really good at something, anything. It might be sports. It might be fashion. It might be teaching. It might be kindness. Like the world would say, oh, she's the kindest person ever. Or um, it could be anything. But it was because I had this lie that being really, really good at something um, made me, uh, would win respect for me. And so that means I believed the opposite lie that being really bad at something would cause people to lose respect for me. And so I was very much afraid to put myself out there actually and for people to see the real me because then they would see that, you know, actually I'm not really good at all at sports or this or that. And, um, so I, I would hide and be invisible. Um, on page four, I just really identify with the progression of Bill's disease. Like it's getting worse and worse. Um, now he's drinking every day and night. Um, when there's a calamity, he turns to alcohol for, to be his friend. I did that and uh, food really, food did help me. Um, but it was getting worse and worse. On page five, his alcohol ceases to be a luxury. It becomes a necessity. But at the end of that paragraph, I still thought I could control the situation. So I still thought I could control, or I thought that I must control, that I had that, that was what was expected of me, and I had no choice. So um, although my eating was getting worse and worse and worse, as I was turning to food to be my friend more and more, um, it was getting to the point where it was all I could think about all day long was food. And um, I was um, up around, my highest weight is somewhere around 220. I don't know, um, but I kept like having to buy the next size up in clothes. And um, all the while I kept telling myself, you must get this under control, Tamara, you must. And um, keep trying, try again, try tomorrow, go, go on the diet again, uh, uh, eat better, eat less, exercise more. Um, it was all that I had to try to fight and chase and control and improve. And that part of my methods of doing that was to uh, shame myself, um, terrorize myself. You know, you're going to die. You're killing yourself. This is terrible. What kind of loser are you? You're trying to be a good teacher. You can't even stop eating. Um, I tried all these methods to control. I thought that I could control. Um and then on, let's see, page six, uh, such a good description. I love Bill's way of, with words. Um, says the remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. The courage to do battle was not there. 
My brain raced uncontrollably and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity. Uh, this is, um, man, that was it. Every day, I really wasn't living. Um, I had, I came to OA, I used a lot of self-reliance, got abstinent, um, found out abstinence wasn't the answer to, the solution to my problem. I relapsed um, and um, and then in my relapse, my eating was so much worse and I just was like forcing myself out of bed, out the door, go to work, begging God, please help me, you know, be a good enough teacher today, get through the day, go home, just um, loathing myself, um, being mean to myself in my thinking, although I tried to be kind, but um, just a lot of self-judgment, self-blaming trying to fix myself, and um, it was miserable. Remorse, horror, and hopelessness are really good words for what I felt. It was very dark. Um, and then, let's see, um, jumping to page eight, um, he says, no words can tell of the loneliness and despair found in that bitter morass of self-pity. That's like a really good description of me. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. So food was my friend before, and it became my master. I didn't even like what I was eating anymore, and I couldn't stop. And it stopped giving me that effect. Like, I would try eating something and say, wait, I remember feeling happy when I ate this before, and I'm not happy. I'm still in pain. So let me try that, even though I don't like it. Well, that didn't work. Let me try combining these things. Let me try more. Nothing's working, but I still couldn't stop because I, was, I just didn't know anything else. And food was my master. If it said eat, I ate. And um, then uh, I do like the expression also on page eight, the dark before the dawn. There's a little bit of hope in that word dawn, right? Um, my, so my powerlessness was good news. Because um, I relapsed because I didn't really get my powerlessness. I thought that I was controlling my disease by working a perfect program, working all the steps by writing down my food every night, emailing it to my sponsor, making the outreach calls, going to meetings, reading all of the literature, journaling. Um, these are all really, really good things that helped me get and stay abstinent. But in the long haul, they didn't bring me a spiritual um, awakening, and I was still in pain, and I was angry about that. I'm thin. I'm abstinent. Why does my life still suck? I was really angry about that. So um, then on page 11, um, let's see. Now he is talking to Eddie. Eddie has come and is sitting before him, and he's going, wow, what is different? What has happened? He's, it can't be that Ebby did this to himself. He says his human will had failed. Doctors had pronounced him incurable. And then a little later, it says, there had been no more power in him than there was in me at that minute. And this was none at all. And so I, uh, this was me. And this was the good news when I finally reached step one thoroughly to the depths of my soul and saw there is no power in me. There's no amount of beating myself up or working the perfect program 
or I'm thinking my way to a solution or self-knowledge, or there's nothing in me that's going to give me the ability to become and stay abstinent. And um, I then I was ready to accept help. That, then I was at step one, finally, finally. And the step one uh, went a lot deeper than the food and my my um, blessings today, my recovery are way deeper than the food. Thank you, Sally, five minutes, okay. So um, on page 12, um, he's, he's listening to Eddie. Um, he's like getting a little hope, like maybe this can happen for me. But he says, despite the living example of my friend, there remained in me the vestiges of my old prejudice. And so um, part of my um, process of healing and recovery was looking at my old prejudices about life, about a higher power, about myself. And I also learned that part of my step one is that I'm powerless over my prejudices. I'm powerless over my old ideas that I learned in my childhood that that protected me and helped me and became my survival tools. Um, and um, now they're a problem for me and I'm powerless over them. Just understanding them doesn't mean I can make them go away or turn them around or fix them. I have to have a power greater than myself for that. Um, at the bottom of page 12, he says, you know, like he had this sense of a higher power, but then it was blotted out by the worldly clamors, mostly within myself. And um, and I'm powerless over all those clamors within myself, too. All those voices saying, do better, be better. You got this. You have to prove to the world that you're enough. Um, I, I, I get triggered. Um, something will happen and it will remind me of um, like my mom shaming me or my dad molesting me or um, just messages from my church that I picked up saying, you know, you have to be really good so that you can be safe and be enough. And um, I things will happen and I will get triggered and I'm powerless over that. And so uh, what's unmanageable is me thinking that I have to handle that on my own. And um, but I'm not hopeless. I do. I am have gone through the steps. And, and uh, I know today that a power greater than me can handle all this. And I don't have to. It's not my job. Um, I can take spiritual action. I can't control my self-centeredness or how much faith I have in a higher power or any of it. I can't control any of it, but I can take action. I can. Um, go through the rest of the steps when I'm finally at step one, I can keep going forward and I can use those tools. I can reach out to my uh, fellows who have the experience to share with me. I can give service. I can do all of these things, but um, I have to remember that it, what is it all about? It's all about a spiritual awakening to connect to a higher power so that um I remember that it's not that I'm powerless. I don't fix myself. I don't heal myself. I don't cure myself. I just get a daily reprieve by staying connected to a power greater than me. Um, uh, Bill talks about even after he's sober, he talks about trials and low spots. He talks about waves of self-pity and resentment. And um, I can identify with all of that. And I've got to have a power that's greater than me. 
And so the last page, page 16, he says, uh, faith has to work 24 hours a day in and through us or we perish. But how do I get faith? I can't, I found that I can't make myself have more faith. I can't will myself to trust that there is something outside of me or deep down within me that cares and is looking out for me and that is powerful enough and personal enough to take care of me. So um, what do I do? Well, we can um, put down the food, we can get abstinent and then work the steps and have the sp spiritual awakening and faith will grow. And I, I, I learned how to live in the steps. And so um, now I practice that every day. So that's my step one. Thanks for letting me share. Tamara, thank you so much for your beautiful share. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your service tonight. That was incredible. All right, we are now going to open the meeting for questions or for three minute shares. As this is a big book study, sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week, which is Bill's story. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions or star nine if you're on the phone, and I will call the raised hands in order and ask you to unmute when it's your turn. Sally, can you still be timekeeper for us and set a timer for three minutes? Great. All right. If the speaker has asked a question, if you have a question for Tamara, please allow three minutes for the answer. All right. I see Nancy P followed by Meredith B. Go ahead, Nancy. Hi, thank you again for um, letting me share. Um, Tamara, that was excellent. Just excellent. And um, you hit all the high spots. And I have two places in Bill's story that um, really speak to me. And the first one is when he talks about being 22 and a veteran of foreign wars, he's going to come home and, you know, run these vast enterprises. And his credentials are that some certificate that his, his company, his buddies gave him. And, you know, that's like me without the certificate. You know, I was sort of like, I wanted to be at the end and I didn't want to start at the beginning to get there. And, you know, I guarantee Andrew Carnegie and the Rockefellers were not shaking in their boots at this kid coming home from the war to take over their vast enterprises. And the, the um, you know, this, the certificate that his buddies gave him probably said to Bill, always ready with a joke, quick joke and a drink, best the guys. And that's kind of how, you know, what, what I thought about myself. And my two favorite, other favorite places in this chapter are both on page 15 where it says, you know, he's complaining about never getting any, um, not getting any work for 18 months. And, but he soon found that a, when all else failed, that work with a newcomer would save the day. It's to sit, sit, put him on his feet and it's a design for living that works and rough going. And I feel like that's like a vast understatement. If I wait, until all else fails to talk to a, a newcomer, I am in deep trouble. And um, and then the other places further down where it says the joy we have of living even under pressure and difficulty. And my personal experience is that since I had, since I awakened spiritually and I gained experience and I and I have been living in the solution for you know these past several years, that my life is joyful, especially under pressure and difficulty because I know right where I came from and I know where I'm headed if I get too far away from it. So, um, you know, I used to breeze through Bill's story like, oh, what's that, you know, who cares? But then of course, 
you know, I STFU and listened, you know, and, um, and I saw, in fact, that Bill's story was really a thumbnail sketch of my own life. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Nancy. All right, Meredith B, you're up, followed by Elise. Hey, everybody, I'm Meredith in Nashville, compulsive overeater. Um, that was so jam-packed, um, hard to know where to start, but I'll say I can relate. Um, I was just talking to a fellow today and I had this all kind of mapped out in my mind that it mirrors what you were saying. Thank you so much, Tamara. Um, my protective where yours was, you know, being the best. I mean, I guess it was the same for me. I had to do everything perfectly or else it didn't count. It had, you know, I had to be spectacular or I wasn't going to get, or my mother wasn't going to love me. And, um, so I, it made me a liar. So, because I was so afraid that I just never did anything. I talked about everything. I just said all of the things I was going to do so that I would sound impressive to you. Um, and then once I said all those things, I knew in my heart of hearts, I wasn't going to do any of them or I, I couldn't, I wasn't equipped to do anything. So then I had to distance myself from you. I couldn't let you get to know me or else you would know I was the complete fraud. So, um, that's where the food came in so handy. Um, I had this thought the other day too, that in my anorexic phase, I, I was disappointed in myself there because I only got to 105 pounds and like I wasn't, you know, low enough. Like I couldn't even be a good anorexic. <laughs> so anyway, um, self-reliance, um, you know, same thing. I came into program and for 10 years just did it all in my own power. It was just like I hear say in these rooms, a diet with support. So um, the delusion has been smashed, thank God. And um, I feel like it's, I'm finally on, on the road. So, um, and it's because I get to hear people like you that I think, oh, there's so much hope. There's so much hope. And um and obviously not alone. I'm so glad you all are here. Um, and thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Tamara. Thanks for sharing, Meredith. All right, Elise, you're up, followed by Steph K. Hi, thank you. Can everyone hear me? Yes. Hi, I'm Elise, uh, compulsive overeater and bulimic. I didn't know what I was gonna say, but I knew that I needed to raise my hand because I just, uh, was so moved. Tamara, thank you so, so, so much. You opened your share talking about how Bill had woken up and then soon found himself coming home drunk. And that could have, that just instantly spoke to me. I feel like just 10 days ago, like I have nine days of abstinence, just 10 days ago, I had some kind of spiritual awakening, felt like I was on the right track was on the right track. And today I just 
something switched in my brain and I just am full of resentment and I just want to leave my mind and my body. Um, I'm going to keep it really real with you guys. I was almost late to this meeting because I was at the supermarket buying my binge food and I almost didn't come to this meeting because I wanted to eat my binge food. And I just have been bargaining with myself for hours thinking like, just make it until eight o'clock, just go to the meeting. And then like, I went to the supermarket anyway. And then I was like, okay, just go to the meeting and then you can eat your food after. Just like making myself really crazy with these thoughts. Um, and even for the first, you know, all the, all the preamble, all the preamble of this meeting, I was just like, I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to leave. This is boring. I'm just going to leave. My food is right out there. I'm just going to leave. And, and Tamara, you kept me, you kept me here. I'm still here. Thank you so, 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 so much. I'm really like you articulated. I've, I've never heard like my perfectionism, my experience of perfectionism articulated that way before. And you've given me permission to feel the way that I feel and to know that I'm not a monster. And that, like you said, like this emotional roller coaster is part of being a person and I don't need to run away from it. So thank you so much. Thank you everyone for being here. Have a good evening. Thanks, Elise. Thanks for being here and thanks for sharing yourself with us. Steph K, you are up, followed by Betty S. Hi, everyone. I'm Steph K. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. Um, my heart is full. And thank you so much, Tamara, for your share. I mean, I don't know. I just, just, hearing your share and also hearing everyone else's share um, really makes me reflect on how this journey is not at all what I thought it should have been. <laughs> um, you know, I thought coming in, it should be that I get a sponsor and I go through the steps and everything's better. Um, and that's just not how it's been at all. Coming up in December, I'll have been in program for three years. And um, if I would have told myself that, like the girl coming into program, hey, you're not, you're not gonna like experience recovery for the first three years or whatever, I would have, you know, probably had a lot to say about that. And all throughout those years, I've had a lot to say about that internally, especially. Um, but hearing your message has been a great validation of some of the things that higher power has been teaching me, which is like really seeing how um, powerless I am over what feelings and thoughts come up during the day. And the thing is, is like, I was able to say I'm powerless over the food, but like, I wasn't able to see how much I was, I still was thinking that I could manage my emotions. And so I was getting really tangled and caught up in all of that. And, um, you know, I can't say that though I see this, I'm, I'm totally good now. I see this, I acknowledge it, I'm changed, like I'm whatever X, Y, and Z, because it really is such a moment to moment thing. I have no idea what feelings I'm going to feel 
once I finish this share or once the meeting's over tomorrow or next week, I, I can't control my feelings. And so all I know, at least today, is that I get to practice showing up how to allow my feelings to be how they are and like knowing I can lean into higher power that I don't need. Like, I literally feel like I have, um, I have like an internal OCD with my thoughts and feelings. It's like, oh no, I'm feeling this feeling that needs to go there and I need to feel this way. And that shouldn't be like just constantly trying to reorganize how I'm feeling and how I'm thinking and if it wasn't for this program and the past three years that I've spent in these rooms, regardless of like what's been happening with the food, I would not have come to this place of seeing how tangled I am and trying to manage these things. I can't manage them. And it's because of all of the fellows that I'm connected with and my sponsor and reading and the meetings that I've had the safety to really discover that um that I can let go a little bit more so yeah so good to be here thanks for being here Steph K Betty S you're next followed by Melissa G hi everybody I'm Betty S a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida so grateful to be here tonight, Tamara. You covered the bases so beautifully of this program, of the disease and the program. And <clears throat> I need to hear that over and over and over. I needed to hear it every day. And I need to take the first step every day because I don't want to forget my powerlessness. I don't want to ever forget my last binge. I don't want to forget as Bill describes it so beautifully, you know, the, the self-pity, the, the morass, the, the self-loathing, everything that you talked about, that's hell. That was hell. And on the other side of that, in, in working towards recovery, working the steps, you know, there's more to be found. There's more to life that I never realized. I, I really never really understood for the longest time. I knew the word power. I knew the word powerless, but it never, it never went from my head to my heart. And I never, for the years, I never really accepted it completely until I did, until I was desperate. And then I did. And now I realize that I've been realizing over time that just as, as you said, we're powerless, I'm powerless over my life. I'm, my life can be unmanageable in a blink of an eye if I turn back to the food. So every day I have a decision of turning my life over to the, the care of my higher power, to the care of God. And for today, for 24 hours, I'm powerless. And I really, really love all that you shared. Um, you're so authentic and so honest. And that just, just gives me so much hope and courage to, to do the day, to do the day in this program. So thank you so much. I pass. Thank you, Betty. We will now stop the recording for unrecorded questions or shares. Would the Zoom host please stop the recording?